Quick background. In 2006, Floyd Landis won the Tour de France. 72 hours later, he lost that title, then spent years fighting doping allegations in the courts. Fast forward 10 years and he shrugged it all off to launch Floyd's of Leadville, a hemp-based line of products that swaps THC for CBD oil. It's a far more expensive component of hemp, but it's legal in all 50 states, and believers say it relieves pain better than smoking weed without the uh, side effects. As the medical establishment creeps all too slowly toward a natural alternative to addictive opioids, entrepreneurs like Floyd are pushing forward with their own products. Here he shares how he bounced back from a very dark time, what any of us might feel after failing at a first startup attempt. What made him want to launch a quote-unquote marijuana business? It's all here in this amazing interview with former pro cyclist Floyd Landis. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Floyd, you have had a heck of an adventure, and um, ultimately what it's led to is your business, Floyd's of Leadville, which is at the moment selling CBD oil capsules, um, but it, it, from the research I was doing, it looked like you kind of were testing some different products, either some creams, some lotions, and all that, but kind of before we get into how you came up with the product you are, you know, maybe you can tell us a little bit about uh, how you decided to launch this type of business. Yeah, well, you know, after, and, and I don't think it's exclusive to me, but after, you know, being a professional athlete for a long time, you kind of, <laughs> there's a there's a period of time it takes to adjust to the real world, if you want to call it that. You know, um, racing bikes and probably most other sports you're kind of living in this little bubble where um you might think you have a plan after after you're retired but it, nobody really has a plan because you live in this in this strange world with you know all kinds of um all kinds of crazy characters involved um in any case so you know there was a period of time after i after i left cycling where i don't know i kind of i kind of felt lost and wasn't wasn't sure what I was doing and you know over that same period of time I I had a couple little health problems just from <clears throat> excuse me from racing back back in those days in my 20s and I'd, I'd broken my hip back then and so I had it replaced in 2006 and you know it's for the most part it's good I mean for the first few years it was there was no pain and these things wear out over time and so it started to ache and I was having trouble with it and I was managing it with <clears throat> with Norco and Vicodin and things like that and uh, that stuff works great initially, and then sort of the, the pain mitigation effect wears off, but you don't really notice it because you get addicted to it. And uh, so there was a period of time where I took way too much of that stuff, and I started to feel ill, and it causes all kinds of other problems when you take too much. So um, I, I started trying to use 
trying to use uh, cannabis products to manage it. And, and you know, it, it really works. I mean, cannabis works for pain, it works for a lot of things. Um, but you don't always want to be be high, right? I mean, <clears throat> in order to, to take enough of it to, um, to manage the pain, sometimes you end up not being perfectly functional for, for other things in life. And so... <laughs> I mean, and look, sometimes that's fun, and I, I like it too. But you know, initially it was it was um, about managing the pain that I had, and uh, you know, I tried different strains, and sometimes I'd try strains with higher um, CBD um, content or higher ratio of THC to CBD, and um, and then somebody mentioned to me, you know, I should just try the CBD part, and I and I thought, you know, I, I thought that was more or less on its own, more or less selling snake oil like god the thc is what's what's helping people um but i tried it um some hemp, hemp derived cbd that doesn't have any thc in it and and you know over after using it for a couple of days it's got a lot of the same medicinal properties as, as marijuana products but it doesn't you know doesn't have that you know um it, well for lack of a better word it doesn't make you high so um I've been using it for, you know, four or five months now, and it's really done a lot for me. And so I, I decided we would focus on that for a little while because I think that there are a lot of people out there that might be more open to, to trying some some product with, you know, in from, from the hemp or the marijuana family. Because, you know, it's still, it, in some sense, it's still taboo for a lot of people or even, even illegal in a lot of places, so they feel like they don't want to be involved. But um, this is a product that, that I think can maybe get them interested in, in the idea and, and try it out and, and realize that, look, this stuff is, does have real benefits. Of course, you can abuse anything and, and, you know, there's reasons that people are averse to using marijuana products and you can debate that all day, but certainly this stuff does have medicinal properties that I think some people, some people view as just a gimmick to try to sell, you know, to sell weed. Yeah. Well, I think it's been researched pretty heavily i mean you know if it weren't for that stigma we'd probably be a lot further along with using marijuana products in general i mean i've got friends that do it because they've got some pretty crippling you know spinal issues and stuff but uh so but your product the cbd oil you guys have it in a capsule and that's legal you can ship that in any of the 50 u.s states right yeah we sell it within the united states um we we source it sometimes from different places i mean we source the hemp oil and we um, we take the extracted CBD, um, the active ingredient, and we concentrate it in the hemp oil. Uh, but yeah, we, we can ship it anywhere. We sell it um, to anyone in the country, and we sell it through some bike shops. We're trying to move in that direction because it, you know it's a it's a product the bike shops can make a, a good margin on, and it's something that really does help people. And, it, and it's a reason for people to come into the shop other than you know what they've already got. It doesn't replace anything that they're already selling, and so it's, we've had good reception with it. And um, you know, we have a couple different products. We have a tincture um, that's more or less the same content that's in the capsules. Some people don't like the taste of it. It's not a, it's not a bad taste, but some people prefer to take a capsule. They both they're both equally effective. Is it? I was looking on your website and it only shows the capsules. Where are you selling the tincture? So we have them in some body shops. We haven't got them up on the website yet. We're just making sure we have the supply chain worked out. Um, so we're, we're adding that in the next couple weeks to our website gotcha so what other products are there besides those two uh, we got other stuff in the pipeline i'd like to do um some some more some more lower price things that people can try because it's a fairly high price point for something if you don't you don't really know its efficacy i mean 
we've never had a case where somebody once they start trying it you know thinks it doesn't work but on the other hand you know it'd be nice to have even if it was just an energy bar or something like that um so we're working on a bunch of different ways to get it to get it to people that you know they can try it out without having to spend you know 50 80 100 bucks right so I'm curious, I, you've kind of opened up a lot of questions, some of them leading into things I was going to ask about later, but since you started with it. So the sourcing of it is, I, I forget where I heard this, but you know, you and I just met at the uh, pool party from Echoes a couple weeks back, and somebody was mentioning that you guys don't actually source any of that from the U.S. because there's weird regulations about getting that kind of hemp oil, but so how do you source it and then are you guys do you have your own production facility where you're extracting and concentrating it or like how are you getting this made well so the regulations keep changing over time you know it's it's a lot like marijuana where people are slowly making progress and, and allowing it so there was there was a time when you could you had to source it out of, out of the country and there was all these other moving parts and they continue to move but um you can source it um in the united states now there's quite a few there are quite a few hemp farms in colorado and there's some in other states they're they're coming along because it's you know it's pretty efficient thing to grow it's um so we source it different places a lot of times we get it from canada canada is pretty progressive with the whole thing um and the prices are good um we have an extraction facility um but right now we're buying the um there's the market changes a lot. So depending on what the, what the market cost is, sometimes it's cheaper to buy from guys that are doing it on a large scale. So we'll get, um, we'll get concentrated CBD and we'll mix it with the hemp oil. And we send it out to, um, to a lab in Durango and get it tested, make sure there's no contaminants or, or cross contamination. Cause some, some places have, you know, hemp that also has, you know, uh, fractional amounts of, of THC in it. And so we want to make sure there's no THC. Uh, so we test it, and then we um, then we have a bottling facility. We we put it, uh, we make the um, capsules, and we make the tinctures there. Right are is these your own facilities, or these are all third party facilities? No, we have our own facility where we um, do some of the packaging, and some some of it, depending on how complex it is, or how automated we need it to be. We have we outsource some of it. Colorado's got a really good network of you know people that are doing these kinds of things now because. Um, you know, on a small scale, it's, it's hard to make those capsules. It's relatively expensive, um, equipment and, and to do it on a, on a small scale, is just simply not cost effective. So, um, fortunately there's a, there's an entire industry coming up that's willing to deal with this kind of things. You can't really go to a third party manufacturer and ask them to, to make hemp products. They just simply don't want to take whatever they perceive as to be the risk of being involved with it. So it's kind of its own little, its own little economy. Right. Yeah. And that kind of leads nicely into what my next question was, what are some of the legal hurdles to what you're doing? Like, I'm, I'm sure there's crazy regulations. Like you said, they're changing all the time. Like how hard was it to get into this? You know, cause you guys launched officially last summer, summer 2016, but I'm sure you were working on it for quite a while before then. Like how much has it changed in just those couple of years? And like, is it getting harder to get into this or easier? Well, the regulatory side of, <clears throat> excuse me, the marijuana business in Colorado is one thing. <clears throat> excuse me, the hemp, um, the hemp regulations come with their own set of issues. Like you, you don't necessarily have to have any kind of credentials to, to try to get into the business, but you do. You've got banking regulatory issues, payment processing issues. You know the big U.S. banks. 
don't want to be involved in it because it's it's still it's still regulated by the FDA in a <clears throat> in a strange way. They treat it now like like supplements, but they haven't never really deregulated the hemp side of it, and so it's just a policy matter. And so for that and, and other reasons, the banks don't want to be involved. So there's that on that side of it. Uh, then the marijuana regulations um, has has its own state regulatory process, and it's pretty cumbersome. And it, you know, it, it's not it's not hard to get into the business. There's a lot of there's a lot of paperwork. And there's a lot of um, you know details that you don't want to overlook because it's it's there's a lot of uh, scrutiny on the on the business because the state wants to show that you know they can manage it. They don't want any any more pushback from the federal government. And they're doing a good job, and but it's brand new and it changes over time. And um, you know, you can write, you can sit down and say, let's write, you know, the ordinance on this and how we're going to manage it. But you, you know, you can't you can't think of half the things that might happen, right? So they're continually continually responding to to regulatory um, matters that they think can make it more efficient and more just just more um, reliable, so that what the the customers are, are getting something that they they know what they're paying for. There's there's just there's a lot of ways to cut corners. You can use pesticides that could be harmful. There, there's a lot of things people could do, and so the state's trying to mitigate that. Yeah. So how do you uh, monitor the quality of your ingredients? Like, how do you know where you're sourcing it is you know pesticide free or non-GMO or whatever the criteria are that you guys want in your product? Well, we we've got a couple different sources that we've come to find <clears throat> are reliable, but they they send it with their own lab test packet for any given batch and then we also immediately test it again just to confirm it gotcha. um because i mean you know there's just in any kind of manufacturing you've got the risk of contamination so it's even if we were certain even if we were, were the ones growing it I'd, i think it'd still be wise to test it yeah so for somebody like let's just say somebody wanted to start something similar like where do you start as far as the regulatory side of it goes or getting the right licenses and permits do you have to start well, you said, so you live in Colorado because Colorado's got some pretty open laws about marijuana. You know, it's legal there. Do you need to be in a state where marijuana is legal to do a hemp product? Or do you just start with your state, start with the feds? Um, well, no, you can do it in, in any state. Um, the states do have some different regulations, but none of it really has a material effect on, on the outcome. So you could you could do it in any state. But the, the nice thing about Colorado is, like I said, it has this sort of little isolated industry that's already focused on similar things. And so there's people with the knowledge and people with the, you know, the wherewithal to set up manufacturing, do all kinds of things that you, you'd probably have a hard time, you know, finding in a, in a state where there isn't already that little, you know, that little part of the economy. Okay. Then is your product, the, the, I'm speaking mainly of the capsules, but I guess the tincture too, or anything that you put out with this, would it be considered like a dietary supplement or is it actually a drug that you have to send in for the FDA approval or sounded like from what you said earlier, it's kind of in, somewhere in between those. Yeah, it's treated as a supplement by the FDA. And, you know, for that reason, we can't make a lot of claims on the packaging and, you know, say it has these, these medicinal properties. If, if you tried to do that, you'd have to go through FDA approval. And, and there are currently many, many, many studies going on in, in the United States by Big Pharma on, on hemp CBD or just other CBD in general uh, derived from marijuana or whatever because, you know, they, they know it's effective, and, and but they have the resources to actually go through the approval process to say, okay, ours 
or a specific blend or variation of it does this, and then they can make those claims. We can't make those claims. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of information out there, and people can they can find it on their own and see what what the value is. And there's there's many many years of of you know anecdotal evidence that it's that this stuff you know has a real benefit for people's quality of life. Yeah. So when you're marketing it, you, you like you said, and I've, I've done sports nutrition products before, so I know there's there's definitely some the ways of finessing the language to where you can sort of imply benefits, but you can't outright state them. But are you allowed to, you know, like say on your website, like link to third party research and these other studies that have been done to show the benefits so that you can say, hey, look, you know, like here's some things you might want to read and let people kind of figure it out on their own, or do you have to comp- even steer clear of that? No, we can do that, and I've, we have a, I've been working on it, just a new a new website. It's a little more interactive, and so we'll have that kind of thing listed. I mean, you know, mostly right now we're just relying on word of mouth. There, it's it's getting enough momentum, and there are enough people that have tried it that that you know, if if somebody doesn't have any idea what it does. It, by asking a few people, they'll they'll find somebody that can say, yeah, look, this has been my experience with it. It's and, and you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to make claims that that I can't support anyway. I know, I know what it's done for me, and I've you know met hundreds of people that it's helped their helped their lives dramatically. And so, you know, we we've, we've kind of marketed it towards athletes, towards towards people. You know, pretty much anybody. Once you turn forty, things start to ache. You don't sleep as well, and, and you know, it has it has a great it has a great benefit for your quality of life, you know, for the cost of it. And, and so rather than, than making, than picking one thing and focusing on that and saying, making some crazy claim, we'll just say, look, just try it out and see, see what it does for you because it has a lot of different, a lot of different positive benefits. For the financial side of it, you know, I know when the, the marijuana side of the industry, you know, people selling weed and pot, like you can't really card processing agreements. You can't use normal banks. Is that, how does that affect what you're doing? It's so it's a little bit less cumbersome on the hemp side, but it's not perfect. I mean, the big national banks won't, won't bank with you. And uh, the payment processing is, is complicated because you got to find a payment processor that'll that'll do it. I mean, they're typically, they're smaller, smaller companies that don't view it as the same kind of risk relative to the, the upside. I mean, the issue with big banks is they could probably do it without any real pushback if they wanted to, but it's not big enough that they were willing to add that extra workload or risk. So, um, on the, on the marijuana side though, it's, 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 it's pretty complicated. There are a few banks in Colorado that'll, that'll bank with marijuana businesses. They're, they're small local banks that are, again just willing to take that risk and um, so to my knowledge there hasn't been any any action on the part of the regulatory or the regulators and at the fed or anything like that um but i guess the the possibility is there and so the, you know the big national banks and the, the banks that have much larger books don't just don't see that as as worth the, you know the added risk and, and work so do you end up paying higher fees you know like merchant processing fees and all that because you're having yeah, these smaller kinds of specialty things. things. Yeah. yeah, those kinds of things are generally double Oof. <laughs> than what they would be other small business. But, you know, it's there's nothing you can do about it. And so it's not like you have a disadvantage relative to the other marijuana businesses. They're just, that's what it is. So you have your office in Leadville, Colorado, which is kind of middle of the nowhere. So I get Colorado, but why Leadville? 
Well, I've always I've always really liked that place. You know, I did a the Leadville 100 back in 2007, um, and came to really like the place. And it's and it's inexpensive, and it's not really. It looks like it's in the middle of nowhere, but honestly, it's harder to get to Aspen than it is to get to Leadville. And I mean, unless you have a jet, but that's not <laughs> who I hang out with. So. <laughs> Leadville also has an airport, but <laughs> we don't we don't fly in private jets. Now I like the place; it's and it's quiet, and and the cost of um, setting up a, a licensed marijuana uh, business up there is a little bit lower. Just I mean, the cost of everything is lower, so it was a good place to to locate. And and like I said, it's you know, it's not that far from the, the big ski areas where everyone wants to be. So I like it. Yeah, is it a storefront or is it just an office? Right now it's an office. We're in the process of acquiring a, a license to turn into a retail spot, but we were doing manufacturing, so it like just sort of ran out of bandwidth to add new things. But over time, I, that was the goal to get an actual storefront up there. Um, right now, we sell our products in the other other dispensaries up there. Is it? Do you plan once you have your own storefront? Do you plan on adding marijuana products as well, or are you going to stick to the CBD oils? Yeah. No, I'd like to make that the an actual marijuana. Um, dispensary. All right, with the CBD oils and the, the production side that you guys have, packaging and you know some limited actual production going on, it's uh, you know that kind of stuff can be capital intensive. And then you you bought the office a few years back and had to clean that out. From what I've read in some other interviews, it was kind of a junk <laughs> pile when you got it. So, like, where did that startup capital come from? And you know, did you bring in partners or investors? Yeah, we have a couple of partners and um, and a few just people I've met over the years invested a little bit here and a little bit there. You know, we didn't we didn't start out with a huge amount of money. It's it's difficult to raise money for the marijuana business to begin with, and you know, unless you've already demonstrated that you can start a business in that kind of regulated regulated industry, then it's it's difficult to raise big piles of money. But it didn't matter to me. I, I wanted to started on a small scale anyway so we could make sure we knew what we were doing before we risked too much um so we're kind of you know just making it work we do you, you know you can start a you could probably acquire a, a marijuana retail license in colorado for i mean it's it's not crazy expensive um relative to the revenue because it comes with this unknown risk it comes with i mean mo- most investors have this model in their head of how they're going to analyze the business and on the risk side this is an entirely you know it's an entirely unknown risk because at any given time the federal government can say okay this all has to stop and that's it it goes away that doesn't exist in most businesses and so raising capital for it's difficult um certainly in large amounts and also people sometimes you know wealthy people in general don't necessarily want their name on it because they don't know what the implications are of people thinking that they're investing in that so it's got all these other, other, you know, dynamics that don't exist in, in most businesses with regards to raising capital or, or anything for that matter. Um, so it took a little while, but you know, we got some capital together, and I think we're we're, um, we're in a good spot now. Do you mind saying like what was the total startup cost to get to the point where you are now? Uh, it was close to a million dollars in total. How much inventory did that get you? Like, are you guys pretty well set right now to, you know, fulfill any order as it comes in and kind of use, are you going to grow off of revenues or like, what's the kind of big picture and grand plan for the business? Yeah, for now we're growing off of revenue. I mean, we, I don't, 
we, we have, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars in, in inventory um, and it's turning over at a good rate. And so I don't, um, I don't want to sell any more of the company, but I also, I want to make sure we, you know, we don't run into anything where we were understocked. I mean, it, if, if a big distributor came to us, we wouldn't be able to manage that at the moment, but for the, the way it's growing, it's, it's a manageable rate of growth and um, I'm, I'm happy with it. So I'm, I'm not pressing too hard to get, um, to get too big, too fast. I want to make sure I understand what, what everything that this comes with before we dive in the whole way. Yeah. Do you have some specific goals? Like, do you want to, you know, grow by 50% or 100% or like how, how much do you want to grow every year? Or how much can you grow just off of revenues every year? Well, I mean, it, it depends what other things we try to do and how much we spend on R&D or just other products because, I mean, our margins are decent. They're, they're not, you know, they're not exorbitant. There's there's a lot of brands out there selling it for much higher than we are and they're, because it's difficult to find. And right now it's, they don't have a competition from big big uh, regulated companies like Amazon won't sell the CBD stuff or any, any publicly traded company that I know of. So um, there's a lot of people charging way too much. And I, you know, it's benefited me and changed my life really. And then I, rather than try to take all the money off the top, I think if we can just get more people taking it, it'll, it'll benefit us in the long run. It'll benefit them. There's no reason they should be paying crazy rates. But <clears throat> so with that being said, it, you know, we can, we can probably double every double our capacity every six months, maybe a little bit more than that. But um, for the time being, like I said, letting it grow organically has, has worked out all right. If some other big opportunity comes along, I'll have to figure out another way to finance it. All right. And you guys just picked up uh, BTI to distribute the product, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those guys put in a decent sized order now that they had enough time to try it out and, and they're good. I mean, they have they have the network that we're looking for. You know, our margins are better if we're selling it directly online. But at the end of the day, you know, that that kind of scale is good for us. It's not so big that you know, if if Target comes and says they want to buy some, we're going to have a problem, right? <laughs> but um, when we're networking with bike shops, and and just by nature of the thing, right, there's going to be certain bike shops that have somebody there that understands it or has has benefited from it. They're they're a lot more likely to start carrying it, and so it'll it'll take some time to even get a distributor to have the ability to, to get it in all of their, you know, all of their accounts as well. And so it's for a lot of reasons, it's, it's growth is, is manageable right now for us. Yeah. And, and for the non-cyclists listening, you know, BTI is a, a cycling specific distributor. So they sell bike parts to bike shops. So imagine though, like I would think if I were a bike shop, especially in this day and age when, you know, everything is, not everything. A lot of things are going to online sales and shops are kind of struggling to figure out how they're going to stay relevant as, as the industry changes that having a product like this in their store would be a draw for people. And, you know, I don't imagine any bike shop would have trouble selling 10, 20 bottles a month, at least, if not a lot more. Is it like, are you seeing that? Like are shops wanting to get this just to have something unique or how, how is the reception? Uh, so, you know, there's, there's been a few shops that have reached out unsolicited on uh, the shops that we've gone to. Have, the reception has been pretty good. There's been one or two here or there where 
I mean, look, this is cycling. They have this bizarre moral code, or at least what they think is a moral code, and they think this is drugs, and so cycling isn't about drugs and whatever. At the end of the day, the rest of the country is on drugs, and I guess now professional cyclists (laughs) are the only ones that aren't. But if they don't want to make money on it, that's fine with me. But the guys that are selling it, they're selling a lot, and and it's repeat customers. You know, it's something that people want, and they're going to come back, and it's another reason to go back to a bike shop over and above just looking for a bike. I think I think it can benefit all of them. I mean, obviously, they've got real competition coming from internet sales, and it's and it's going to be hard on them. But, it, you know, they, the bike shops have to exist. I mean, in one sense or another, people need – people can't fix their own bikes for the most part. They're fairly complex now. Um, and so there's going to always be service centers, and maybe the bike shop will look different in the future. But they're going to be around, and so adding some other source of revenue, I mean, it can't be a bad thing. Um, so apart from a few, you know, elitists that think that they're, that cycling is, well, it has a different definition to that and that's fine, but, um, it's something that, that is natural and it's been used for thousands of years for all kinds of things. And so we, we would know if it had real risk and, and, you know, now it's been taken off completely off of the anti-doping band list, which the fact that it was ever on there should call into question what those fuck those guys are doing over there anyway. But um, now that it's off of that, there's no, there's no legal or other material reason not to carry it, other than just some weird belief. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the doping thing. I was on my list of things to talk about. So that's the the WADA list, which is World Anti Doping Agency. It's, it, it was on their list, and I thought it wasn't coming off until 2018, but it's already off the banned substance list. Well, it's not on the new one, so they're not testing for it anymore. I mean, it would ah. once. And, I mean, we knew this was coming anyway. They, they're going to have to take marijuana off of it completely as well because, I mean, frankly, the only reason they have marijuana on there is because all the drugs that actually work are very, very hard to test for. And so they just need they need to catch somebody for something once in a while so they can remain relevant. <laughs> and that's why they put – I mean, it's it's a cheap test, right? You can test for marijuana much, much less expensively than you can test, say, if you're trying to use carbon isotope ratio mass spectrometry or some kind of you know test for epo which is very very complex chemistry and complex equipment so they just figure well we'll test for thc and then we'll just you know we'll be in the news once in a while we'll be able to keep raising funds from congress and the whole thing's a scam but thankfully they're taking cbd off and and if they have any sense at all they'll take thc off sooner than later all right Cool. I want to jump back to talking about BTI for a second. So like with a distributor like that, you know, you said, yeah, you know, you lose a little bit of margin going through a distributor, which, you know, it's just the way it works. But I, I would think you gain probably more than you're losing in that you gain a sales force and everything. But how do you guys support somebody like BTI? And, you know, presumably they're hopefully trying to actively sell your product into the stores but you know like are they and how do you support that how do you help them to help you well so yeah i mean look i wasn't lamenting the fact that the that the margin is lower they, they obviously provide value that we couldn't afford to do set up on our own so and it comes with scale so it's it's a, it's a win for both of us um and right now we, I, i've just said look let your let your customers or your or your accounts know that that it's available, but again, I'm, I'm hesitant to push too hard. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared that a, a big order that takes away our ability to ship to our online sales and or other smaller accounts. So, um, but but they're good. I mean, they I think they'll push it. And, and at the end of the day, like I said, it, it sells itself. It's not it's not magic potion, but if if people start taking it, they're going to keep taking it. Right. 
So from a marketing standpoint, you know, consumer marketing, how are you promoting this? Well, so marketing is a little bit difficult. Um, we can't advertise it on on social media, which is where most of the advertising dollars are these days because it's very precise and you can actually you can account for what benefit you get for the cost, right? Um, but it's treated by those guys the same way as as marijuana at, at the moment. They haven't they haven't decided to just allow it. And and you know there there are companies that can make their own decision. They can prevent us from advertising. So the good thing is that we can get publicity because of me and because of who I am. Um, and so our social media marketing is more of just um, clever things that don't say anything about CBD because we can't. So it's a little bit difficult, but we're, you know, honestly, because of the rate we're growing, I, I like the I like the um, grassroots approach where we just go to different bike shops and you know sometimes 100 people show up, sometimes it's 10, but it's people that are interested and they and they listen and you know don't necessarily all buy it, but it gets the word out. And I think rather than you know trying to take over the world by paying for a bunch of expensive advertising that we can't really capitalize on, number one because we're not quite big enough, and number two it's there's no way to know what the actual benefit was. We're doing a good job of getting the word out without having to, you know, break the bank. Yeah. When you say the social media, you can't do social media advertising. You can talk about it on your own social media profiles, but you can't do paid advertising. Right. Like you can't buy ads for it. No, they'll, they restrict those. And so they, they won't, they won't post it. They'll just tell you it's outside of their, you know, terms of agreement that you signed when, right. when you signed up huh. um and, and facebook I'm, is a little more restrictive even than an instagram for some reason with with regards to people posting and talking about it and for the most part they let it be now and if you're an individual they're not going to bother you at all right you're not selling anything but if you push too hard on the on the um non-paid side just simply your account on instagram on, on making it all about marijuana and your business they will eventually they'll take your account down. And is it kind of the same for trying to buy like Google AdWords or similar stuff like that? Are you allowed to buy yeah, those? Yeah, that's a little less restrictive. Um, you can you can do that. But I mean, honestly, the way we're doing it, we've spent some money on it, but we, we get more return for our, for our time and our money by just simply going meeting people face to face because we have the ability to actually, you know, draw the people out that they want to hear. And yeah, uh, is, to me, that's that's been more effective anyway. Are you road showing it then? Like are you, you mentioned, you're in New York right now, which is why we're able to talk so early in the morning. Uh, is it? Uh, are you just driving around in the van, doing some sampling? You know, hitting the East Coast and then looping around, or? No, we're not. It's not like a tour or anything. Just there's shops that I've relationships with over the years that, you know, that I reached out to and said, hey do something over there we're going to strictly um strictly cycles right across the george washington bridge there in in new jersey on saturday we're doing a ride and then another ride on sunday in jersey and then yeah i mean it's it's not some planned out tour or anything but just trying to capitalize on the relationships that i have from all those years racing beyond athletes and well you know so that's an easy way to reach what we all know, which is cyclists and, and use those relationships. When you start to expand beyond that market, like how do you, who are some of the other target audiences you guys have on your roadmap and how will you reach those people? Uh, right now we're just going to focus on cycling. I mean, we, I, I know how this stuff works and I know that 
every person that buys a bottle and, and uses it for a week or two weeks is going to notice that their quality of life is better. Their ability to focus is better. And they're going to tell people it's, I mean, it's not, it's such a useful thing that it's something you will talk about. And so the word's going to get out. We don't, I don't think we need to worry about who the next group is. And we, we have our online sales. I like, I like bike shops because I, you know, at the end of the day, I'm conflicted about the whole thing, but I, I like cycling. You meet interesting people. It's, yeah, it's cycling has given me a lot in life. So, um, I, I don't mind that crowd because I understand it and I know them and, and I think it'll just grow from there on its own and whatever direction it goes, we'll manage that. Yeah. Are, are people who smoke weed or, you know, use marijuana in some other fashion, a, a target audience for you guys, or are they kind of, they've chosen to use the THC products? Well, yeah, no, they are. They are absolutely. I mean, they, so there are quite a few strains of marijuana that have a, a good deal of CBD in it, but they're hard to find and they're really expensive because those strains, I mean, without exception, don't yield anywhere near the amount of, of usable uh, marijuana flower per plant or but just by time and energy and the cost of growing those is so much higher that <clears throat> the, the price is double or more sometimes. And so if there's no reason not to just add some CBD to the effect of the THC because it mitigates some of the negative effects of, of marijuana, which is sort of paranoia or just, you know, the, the, the actual high itself is different when you have CBD with it. Um, and so, yeah, those people, they, but they already understand that it. it doesn't take much marketing to them. They, I mean, they already know that, look, I can just add CBD from hemp to my experience and, and not pay anywhere near the same cost. All right. Is it, I'm just from a personal curiosity standpoint, cause we, you, I use hemp seeds and like, you know, oatmeal or my pancake mix and stuff like that is like, how much hemp seed would you have to eat to get the equivalent CBD oil of what's in one of your capsules or can you even come close? Yeah, it would, it would take a lot because generally the ratios are like, you know, 10 to 1 THC to CBD or, you know, 20 to 1. Or if you get much higher than that, I mean, it would be hard to find anything higher than that. So, like, just extrapolate that, right? If it's 10 to 1 and, and you're taking a 25 milligram capsule, that's 250 milligrams of THC. I, I, I've only met very few people in my life that could use that much at once and still function. I mean, normally a 10 milligram dose is quite a bit for THC. No, oh, yeah. I was just you meant like it. using hemp seeds like to bake with, like the stuff you buy at Whole Foods. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> go to town. <laughs> That's a good idea. I'm going to make some of that later. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, do you get like like the stuff? If I walked into Whole Foods, I bought hemp seeds, you know, hemp seed hearts or whatever, and, and just to you know use for making some muffins or something, you know, because they're high in protein. Like it's a good, it's a healthy food. Like, am I getting any CBD oil benefit out of that, or do you really need to extract no. it and purify it? No, there's no. You won't find anything with CBD in Whole Foods. There's, there's a lot of clever marketing too on the internet. Like Charlotte's Web is the biggest seller out there. And it has no TH, no CBD at all in it. It's just plain hemp oil. I mean, it's essentially snake oil. Hmm. But um, they have good marketing, right? You look at their website and it says, you know, hemp this and hemp extract that, and it's concentrated this and that and that. And then and then down there's a lot of links to CBD research and CBD things, but there's simply no CBD. They've removed it because they don't want to deal with the banking things, and they have a big name and they sell a lot of it. But at the end of the day, it doesn't have any active ingredients in it, and I think it's unfortunate, but 
So there's some gamesmanship going on, but when you buy at Whole Foods, you won't find anything with CBD in it there. All right. So you mentioned that one, which kind of, again, leads nicely into my next question is, who is your competition? Who's doing it right? And like, who are you guys up against in the market? You know, I, I don't really know. There's, they're, they're small. I mean, there, there are companies that, um, that do both THC and CBD and they're, they're more well-known in states that sell CBD, like Mary's Medicinals has a line of hemp CBD stuff and they make good, good quality products. But, um, you know, we're trying to get our name out there to a select audience. So we don't really have competition in that space. And, and it's because it's so new and there is no big player. There's not a lot of overlap. So, you know, at the moment we're not, we're unencumbered by worrying about what the other guys are doing. Yeah, and, and I think you know we were looking around a little bit before, and you, know, you said you guys wanted to be more affordable. And from what we saw, you, you really are. Like some of this stuff gets crazy expensive. <clears throat> yeah, ours is dramatically less. And those guys are—I mean, I can tell you—they're making four or five times their actual cost, and it's too much. It doesn't need to be that expensive, especially when they're selling stuff without even CBD in it most of the time. So, I mean, that stuff, like the, the, the Charlotte's Web stuff you see that costs $200 a bottle, their margin on that is 190 Jeez. So, <laughs> yeah, no, because they didn't even spend the money to put the CBD in it. That's the expensive part. So, so uh, yeah, you won't, you, won't, you won't find anything at better price, and you, and you won't find anything at better quality. I mean, I don't mean to sound cheesy like I'm selling something, but ours is very, very good, and, and there's absolutely no reason to charge what they're charging. So how do you convey that message to your customers? You know, like how do you, without just sitting there and trashing the competition, you know, like, you know, what is it like retails like 60 to $80 for a bottle of your capsules, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right in there. Which, and, the, and the capsules cost a little bit to manufacture, but, but you know, a lot of, a lot of the cost is, is the CBD itself, extracting yeah. it, making sure the testing is right. It just, there's just a lot of, that comes with it, but, but our, and our margins are good, but they're not anything outside of the realm of what, you know, retail should be. Yeah, but that's and a big upfront cost, especially for somebody walking into a bike shop, you know, to drop 60, 80 oh, bucks yeah, yeah. on something. So how do you... Yeah, it's a lot. How do you let them know that say, hey, you know, like what you're getting here is a real product and not, you know, like you're getting the effective dose and an actual ingredient. Like that's, I think that's the important part of the it, message. How do you get that out? Well, it's a little bit difficult and it's going to take time for people to understand what it is. And that's that's partly why the market is pretty small right now, not because it doesn't work, but because it's number one until recently it was almost impossible to find. Now it's still hard to find, but it's there and the price is high. But you know, if they go and they look at the bottle, they don't, maybe they don't buy it when they're there, but they go home and they look it on the, up on the internet and find out that it's 20 or 30 or 50% more or even double elsewhere. Then maybe they'll try ours and hopefully they don't view it as of lesser quality because it's less expensive. We're just not, we're just not gouging people because we don't think we need to. And, and number two, it's, it's beneficial to people. And I'd, I'd really like them to have it. I mean, it, it does a lot for people's quality of life at, at any age, but the older you get, the more, the more benefit you get out of it. All right. On. So I, I will talk a little bit, you know, about kind of how you sort of jumping back to the very beginning of how you got into this and, and, not so much how you started the company, but how how you kind of brought yourself to do this. So it, it's kind of hard to look past the irony of a doper selling near dope. And but after you retired from cycling, you really kind of had everyone hating on you for a while. And which I 
in my mind, must be similar to an entrepreneur having their first business fail miserably, right? Like you did something and you were, you were going hard and then all of a sudden it was just kind of like all taken away from you. So how do you bounce back from that like emotionally and, and mentally and physically? And then how do you put yourself back out there in the public eye and make another go of it? Man, I like I honestly, if even if I sat down and tried to analyze how how it all happened or why I did anything I did, I don't think I could put it into words. I mean, all, for the most part, or I mean, entirely everything that happened after 2006, I was unprepared for. And so I just, I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I had bad days. There were some dark periods in my life, but just wake up in the morning and whatever came along, I just tried to get through it. And, you know, over time it became more manageable and, and the drama became less. So I got to a point where I decided, okay, I need I need to do something else in my life. But there were six, seven, eight years there where all I did was just manage one disaster after the next. And so I, like, I don't I don't know. There's, I don't even know what to tell you. I just I tried to get through it and stay alive. I guess. What were some of the first steps? Like like where did the inkling of idea? You know, you, you were using this product and or marijuana, CBD oil, some combination of them for your own benefit. Like. What was kind of that first spark of like, hey, you know, like this works so good. Like I want to help other people. Like what, what was that genesis? Well, I was, yeah. I mean, I was living in Colorado at the time and one of the, one of the requirements to even get licensed at all in the first place was you had to have lived in Colorado for two years. And so I I thought, you know, I've got a little bit of advantage, right? Most people can't, can't start these businesses unless they live here and, and even that's limited to people who are willing to do it. And, and but there was, you know, that's a real competition in, in the marijuana space. And um, so I was a little bit hesitant because I didn't know that much about running a business, but I, you know, I, I understood the product and I knew it helped me. And so I figured, well, what the hell I got, I mean, I got to do something, right. I'm like, <laughs> I can't, I'll be a distraction at most jobs. So I, I don't, <laughs> didn't really even bother applying. So <laughs> right. I figured I'd start something and see what I could do. I mean, I, I don't know. you I don't know how anybody starts a business. I mean, for me, it was it was something that I cared about that helped me, and I realized that there was an opportunity to do something and figured it was worth the risk. Yeah. Were you scared to kind of put your face and name back out in the public eye? No, not really. By that time, I'd been humiliated so badly that it didn't really matter what the response was. I mean, I, at this point, I, it's it's not fun to be, you know, accused of things that may be true in some narrow sense but the person accusing you doesn't simply have a grasp of, of what the whole story is or even reality in general but the problem is those people get they get aggregated on the internet right those are the only people that feel like sitting around all day and writing comments people that are right. positive and doing things in their lives they're not doing that so but it's painful you know and so i over over time i realized look i just got to accept that those people are going to be out there saying what they're saying and there's nothing i can do about it and and they're not the majority anyway and so fuck them yeah, that's uh, that's that's kind of great advice. <laughs> I like it. I mean, we deal with that all the time with bike rumor, right? Like the comments are kind of out of control, and it's even almost a, a oh, running it's joke. Is, you know, it's like yeah, but those people. <laughs> some just of them, honestly, some of them are funny. Like some of them are so stupid and so obnoxious that I think, okay, that guy's just fucking around, and that's funny. I can handle that. <laughs> yeah. Once in a while, I'm entertained. Depends on the mood I'm in. I usually don't read it though. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I barely read the comments on the post i write because it's just you know i got fortunately there's my wife does a comment moderation so if something actually needs a reply she just pings me i don't have to deal with it the um <laughs> yeah works out well 
stresses her out, but um, yeah. <laughs> so last couple questions are usually uh, just sort of like seeing if you have some advice or, you know, some of the challenges you face. If you want to start with either one, but like what are maybe two or three challenges you faced in getting this up and running and then two or three pieces of advice you have for some budding entrepreneurs that may want to do something similar? I mean, I, I treat both of those as the same answer. I, I sort of treat the whole thing as a, uh, as a bike race. because That's what I learned how to manage. I learned how to manage stress in those races. And, but the biggest thing is just learn how to lose. I mean, you, you don't win very much, even if you're the best bike racer in the world, unless, well, unless you're Peter Sagan, he wins everything. But for the most part, even the, the best bike racers don't win that much, right? You win a few big races and that's a career. So you're going to spend a lot of time losing and you got to just get used to that and see that as a step to, to what's next, not, and, and not in the sense losing, but, you know, you make decisions as you're making this up. Cause when you start a business, you're, you're just guessing at some things. So you're going to get some things wrong. And I mean, you just, you got to keep going. Eventually you'll, you'll win a race. I like it. All right. Last question. How do you build adventure into your everyday life nowadays? Oh man, I'm trying to avoid adventure. That's my <laughs> only goal in life at the moment. <laughs> I had enough to get me through the rest of my life, I think. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, Floyd, thanks so much for your time. It was awesome talking to you. All right, dude. We'll chat soon. Thanks, man. I love, love, love Floyd's parting advice. His quote, you're going to spend a lot of time losing, and you just got to get used to that and see it as a step to what's next. Pretty much sums up the day-to-day -day experience for many entrepreneurs. It's not like we're actually losing a stage every day, but we're not necessarily winning big races every day either. In fact, much of the time, we're spinning along doing the hard work of launching and growing a company. Once in a while, we get a big win, but then it's right back to the hard work. What's important to remember is that without all those hard days, the big wins will never come. And if you're willing to put in the hard work now, day after day, you're that much farther ahead of any competitor that's just looking for the easy wins and low-hanging fruit. So keep at it. Just make sure you're working smart, not just hard. For show notes, timestamps, and images to go with this episode, head over to thebuildcycle.com. Leave a comment or hit me up on social media with any questions, topics you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, or guests you'd like me to interview. We're at The Build Cycle on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. One last thing. Before you close up that app, could you leave a quick rating or review in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to The Build Cycle? And be sure to hit the subscribe button if you just found us. Thanks a ton for listening. Here's hoping your hard work gets some wins. Until next time, keep building. Keep building.